Welcome to Callings, a podcast of NetView, the network for vocation in undergraduate education, featuring conversations on college, career, and a life well lived. I'm Erin Van Lanningham. And I'm Hannah Schell. And we invite you to explore with us and our guests the process of discovering one's vocation. We approach the subject with eagerness and humility and the recognition that a diversity of viewpoints, religious and secular, influence how we understand vocation. Through these conversations, we hope to offer listeners better ways to understand how discerning one's purpose and connection with others is central to a meaningful life. Welcome to a special episode of Callings, featuring some of the highlights from our second season. This episode features advice for undergraduates, but can serve as advice for all of us who work in the overlap of education and vocation. Our guests include college presidents and other leaders in higher education, as well as authors of influential and interesting books about meaning and purpose. The guests offer challenging calls to action in time of crises. Many of our guests emphasized courage as an important virtue and our responsibilities to each other and future generations. We hope you enjoy these short segments, that they are food for thought and fuel good conversations. In our first episode from Season 2, Career Services at a Crossroads, We talked with Andy Chan, Vice President for Innovation and Career Development at Wake Forest University. Andy underscores the importance of being courageous and surrounding yourself with a supportive network. Have courage and try to experiment and try things. Uh, Be reflective of what you learned and then experiment again. I think that we all, after a while, can feel a little bit like I can't, I can't try things because I might fail or I might make a mistake or it may be fatal. And I, I would say that if you do think it actually it will be, um, get some perspective. We talked about mentors and asking people who have some more years on their life about your thoughts about what you're thinking. They might actually give you some ideas as to how to mitigate the risk. But but having courage is really important. I think I think we, for whatever reason, seem to live in a very fearful sort of state of not wanting to try things. And as we don't try things, we'll never be able to experience the possibilities. And I think that's a really, really big thing. Lastly, I will say this is don't walk alone. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Create and be accompanied by a personal board of advisors, mentors, situational mentors, people who care about you and love you and friends who you can do life with. Like life wasn't meant to be uh, done alone. And I, I heard a great quote, like, if if you want to go fast, go alone. If <laughs> you want to go far, uh, go together. So mm-hmm. be together with other people who, who, uh, who love you and uh, share beautiful ideas. That's what life can look like. And, and it's a lot more fun and you'll go a lot farther. Marjorie Haas is currently the president of the Council of Independent Colleges and previously served as a professor, dean, and president at several colleges over her career. In Wrestling with the Angel, episode six of this season, Marjorie discusses responsibility and the importance of responding to calls even when they are confusing or ambiguous. 
What I say to the young people I know, to my children, to my students, to the young people I work with, I, I think this is a moment for a kind of ruthless interrogation about what and how you want to live. Um, sometimes we do that interrogation in a pretty superficial way. We either think, well, we want the whole uh, Instagram package, you know, wealth and beauty and this and that. Or we offer a kind of knee-jerk reaction to that. None of that matters. I will live in a tent and I will, um, you know, feed the hungry, you know, bread I make from growing my own wheat. And either of those lifestyles might be very fulfilling, uh, might be meaningful, but you want to choose not based on what you think you should say, but on what you really want. You cannot have it all. None of us really could. It was an illusion to the extent we imagined we could. There are trade-offs. As I said, one of the trade-offs I've made in my career is we haven't had a home. You know, we have lived in other people's homes and we have traveled about and we, our kids grew up in different places and we've been separated from our children at different times and from our families. We didn't choose the place was we would live. That was a trade-off we made. So we, that was a way in which we were not having it all. But that trade-off was well worth it to us because it gave us the opportunity to do some things that really mattered to us. There's no one right way to do it. But to think deeply about what matters to you in terms of place and space, relationship, lifestyle. My husband, as we talked about at the beginning of this, has you know left his career as a professor to become a sleight-of-hand magician. And he tells his magic students that um, when you choose the kind of art you're going to pursue, you're choosing a lifestyle. Like, mm. are, is this way of making art mean you're going to have to be on tour all the time? Does this way of making art mean you're going to need to invest a lot of money in the startup? So you're going to need a, a, a producer or a, um, a uh, patron so you can make this art? Is this art you can make at night or does it require daylight? Is this art, you, you know, so think about that, those kinds of questions. What is the how do you want to live and then work backwards from there? Um, easy, easy to say. Easy to say from the perspective, you know, of someone who has um, both made choices and had choices thrust upon her. But that would be the advice I would give. In our conversation with Tim Clydesdale, well-known author of The Purposeful Graduate, Tim offers really helpful advice to young adults including the idea that a calling usually doesn't unfold in a straight line. This comes from Episode 7 in Season 2. It's wonderful to have conversation partners who are the same age as you, um, to talk through um, things that matter with people the same age as you is very important. But if those are your only conversation partners, you're missing out on something really, really important. There is a myth that there are huge differences between generations. 
There's a whole industry that will peddle all sorts of theories of generation X, Z, next gen, um, I gen, blah, 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 blah. Ignore the fact that the age, the time periods that they give for these don't even overlap or, or make much coherent sense. And they're really just operating in the era of stereotypes. The reality is there are far more commonalities between generations than there are differences, right? Young adults want to find meaningful work that's satisfying and pays the bills too. So do people who are older than them. Young adults want to have a home that is a place of, you know, peace and, and, and laughter and, 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 and good times and, and, and connection. So do people older than them, right? The things that, that matter so much to young adults are shared by people in all generations. And therefore, there is actually something for young adults to learn by talking to people who are older than them. And the question I would tell them to ask is tell me your story. How did you get to be where you are at this point and in this place? Who have been the pivotal people? What have been the pivotal moments that have, have kind of got you to this place? Uh, you'll know those of you who um, are listening, who are part of Network on Vocation. That's just called the vocation story. You're asking <laughs> people their vocation story. But hearing that from others is so important to, to begin opening up conversations. One stories are always interesting and it opens up a conversation and, and they'll tell you about, you know, the things they thought they were certain of that they were wrong on. Um, and, you know, mistakes that they made. And one of the things that they'll do. And so this will probably be a second top of mind contribution to young adults is to let go of the myth of linearity. I called it. Which is that you, you, you just, your life should follow some direct line. At some point, you had an epiphany at like seven years old of this is what I should be. <laughs> and then everything kind of, you know, from that, you went nope. to college for that, right? And then you go on to graduate school and then, then you meet, you know, the, the perfect, you know, partner and you, you know, and, and, and on and on. This, this myth of linearity is, is so untrue. And it's, it's the exception when anyone has a story like that that they can tell. Um, most people have a much more circuitous route to it. Mary Dana Hinton is president of Hollins University and former president of the College of St. Benedict. In episode four, she reflects on her upbringing in Kittrell, North Carolina, and her journey to a selective college in the Northeast. Her advice points us to the ways that struggle and strength are intertwined. In the piece um, about strength and vulnerability, and now I sometimes talk about it as courage and vulnerability being two sides of the same coin. So for folks in the margin, you're often reminded of your vulnerabilities. Not having economic resources makes you vulnerable. Um, in our society, which um, has, you know, had a long history with racism and sexism, being a person of color and a woman makes you vulnerable. So lots of things make you vulnerable. And there's a tendency to want to hide those vulnerabilities. So when I went off to New England to go to college, being poor and from the South and lacking what people would call social capital, um, I felt really vulnerable. My Southern accent made me really vulnerable, I thought. 
And so I tried to hide all of those things that I thought labeled me as less than. Um, Brene Brown talks a lot about shame. And I felt shame around a lot of parts of my identity. But what I've come to realize is that those parts of identity that the world would say I should be ashamed of are actually the parts of my identity that give me the strength and the courage to do what I do now. Um, Because I've seen difficult days, I'm willing to take on challenging situations because I know what it's like to feel like your humanity is less than. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure others don't feel that. So what the world might tell me I should be ashamed of and might say should relegate me to the margins are the things that I now view as great strengths and what gives me power in those margins and the courage to walk through the center. Um, I am not ashamed of how I grew up. Um, I am not ashamed of the things that I need to work on to be a better leader, right? Like I, I do need to worry less about being a people pleaser. So you know what? Every day I get an opportunity to work on that. Every day there are things that I can do to be a better human being. And I get to work on those things every day, not because I'm pursuing some crazy notion about perfection, which doesn't exist, but because I have a responsibility to be my best self. And being my best self means embracing all of those things that others might say make me vulnerable. And it's having the courage to say to someone else, How do you define your best self and how do we work towards that by embracing who you are and what you are and who cares what other people say? But if you're not willing to be vulnerable, I I really don't know how you lead because if you pretend that you have no weaknesses, that you're a super human, I don't know that I would trust that. Like I, how, how do the people you're leading trust you if they can't see your humanity. And so part of your humanity, it's really your vulnerability. Some might even say the bulk of it are your vulnerabilities. So I think sharing that with people is really important. Sharing it appropriately, recognizing important professional boundaries and so on. But I would hope if you asked any community that I've been a part of, I hope they would say, that I've tried to share my full self, including the banged up, imperfect, slightly, you know, skewed parts of myself as well. In episode two, Jason Mon talks about how crisis summons us to live in real connection to people in our local communities. A professor at Augustana College in Illinois, Jason is the author of the recent book, Neighbor Love Through Fearful Days. We asked him about the ways that activism informs how some students understand their callings. One thing that I learned at the beginning of the pandemic and then relearned uh, in the months that followed is um, about the necessity for... um, movements like the mutual aid movement that popped up all around the country. And one thing I was really surprised about when I was reading and and talking with people about these movements is that many people went to join mutual aid groups 
um, because they themselves were, were lonely and anxious. You know, those people usually were the ones shoveling sidewalks or delivering groceries or, or doing what looked like care for others. But that care for others was a form of self-care as well, right? That they needed to have a purpose. They needed to be needed. They needed meaning in their life and knew that that meaning could only come by, by being for others and being open to others' needs. And so I think my advice to young people would be, I mean, there's so much need for self-care. Anxiety and depression are through the roof. Um, it seems like every, every program we host on campus is another tactic to care for, them, care for oneself. And all of that is needed and good. But I hope that students take advantage and really feel and know the power of other care, of neighbor love, and how that isn't just a kind of unilateral um, serving others through my own service, but it is a way of becoming um, uh, myself and caring for myself by opening up to what others need of, of me and what others need of, of young students. So to just be courageous and look to others and, and realize how much you yourself will flourish in return. Patrick Reyes is the author of The Purpose Gap, Empowering Communities of Color to Find Meaning and Thrive. In Episode 3, Patrick extends our thinking about vocation to include the future impact of our vocational choices. Here, he talks about both his grandmother and his young daughter and what it means to think in terms of five generations. Whatever that thing is that you feel like is just driving you anxious, like pay attention to that and start saying like, hey, if this is really something that's calling me, calling my attention, I don't care if, the, the, if it's astrophysics or if it's English lit, I'm going to try to think about this question and try to solve this and dream with other people who have a similar dream to solve this issue to, to address this issue. And I think that takes courage from a student perspective. That takes a lot of courage because you go into these institutions and say, here's your track. Here's your, here's your counselor. Who's going to make sure that you check off all the boxes. You get enough credits to graduate. Um, that's how I went to my undergraduate. And there's something that has to happen parallel to that to say like, okay, yeah, you do need to do the credential stuff. You need to check some boxes. But what are you doing along the way that gets you at answering your actual purpose, your actual call in community? And to me, if we could have more young people who I know, at least from the ones that we pull and all the national data we look at for 18 to 22 year olds, they're ready. They're ready for change. They're, they want an opportunity to lead. They don't want to wait for generation, our generations to get out of the way because we screwed everything up. So they're ready to lead. And so my challenge, both for our generations, get out of the way and for them to step up to like, don't wait for me to say, this is what I think you should do, or don't ask my permission, go out and do it. Challenge, you know, make these, the, the, the changes that this world needs to see. And I, you know, here's my invitation for the 18 to 22 year olds or the faculty who are working with those. This is imperative that we get this right, that they are allowed to do this, that they are got the resources and access to the opportunity of mentors and the knowledges that they do. Because for me, Carmelita's life is on the line. My daughter 
who is four years old will be sitting in their classrooms, will be, you know, buying their products. They'll be benefiting from the solutions they make in STEM. That Carmelita in five generations will be benefiting from whatever they're coming up with right now, the solutions they're doing. There's nothing in the that we have that is so unique to us that we need to make sure it's preserved in these institutions. What we need is folks who are empowered and emboldened to go out and find new solutions, new ways of living in the world that for me, as a very selfish father, and I don't even know what that is, great, great, great grandfather to a Carmelita, that the, the young people that we have in our classrooms right now feel empowered to go out and track down those solutions, those challenges that they want to pursue to make this world better. And that we're doing everything we can to clear every hurdle, to make sure that they have access to the labs, to the resources, to knowledges that they need in order to pursue those questions. Collings host Aaron Van Lanningham is the co-editor with Stephanie Johnson of a new collection of essays, Cultivating Vocation in Literary Studies. In episode nine, I talked with Aaron and Stephanie about novels, poetry, and how close reading and paying attention are a part of vocational reflection. Here, each offers advice to young adults. Well, I'm going to go back to my um, my comfort zone, which is uh, narrative and novels, and and to Middlemarch, and I'm going to you know suggest that there are things to pay attention to, and one is is the narrative, um, the sort of strong narrative of yourself that you know you you want to. Listen to the narrative, sort of pay attention to to the storyline that you're, you know, sort of on. But at the same time, maybe even more importantly, you need to listen to the counter narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you you may consider your the story of your life as you know it at the present time, or what you've been told should be your story. Um, but also think think about. Um, the counter narratives and how who who is asking questions that maybe challenge what you think um your 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 you know your trajectory is who what are the things that maybe could be different or could you know expand your story i think that that's that's significant i also think um you know in middle march it, it ends very famously with this idea of the uh, elliot writes the growing good of the world is in part dependent on unhistoric acts. And I think students often think of, um, you know, the stories that we give them of vocation are these, you know, amazing historical figures or influential people. But there's this idea of um, the unhistoric as being significant to the growing good. And I, um, it's not that we are unhistoric, um, we're, we're, we're significant, um, in our place and time. And, uh, to really kind of take that as, as an invitation, um, to, to understand, you know, your own ability to contribute and, um, and to blunder, to, bl- to blunder your way through it. That's, mm-hmm. that's okay too. Advice that I would give to young adults, it really has to do with the idea of possibility and to recognize that not that everything is possible, but that we live in the possible. And the, I'll, I'll refer to Emily Dickinson for this one. It's the first poem that I discuss in my 
chapter, her poem entitled, I Dwell in Possibility. That's the first line. And so I think my advice is to dwell in possibility, to recognize how that's life-giving and positive and beautiful, even if it's sometimes scary. And to dwell in the possible um, as much as we can, I think, will give us meaningful lives. This bonus episode concludes Season 2 of Callings, Conversations on College, Career, and a Life Well-Lived. If you enjoyed what you heard, listen to the episode highlights from Season 1, which also features advice to undergraduates. Until next time. Callings is hosted by NetView, the network for vocation in undergraduate education, an association of over 250 colleges and universities in the U.S. and Canada. NetView is administered by the Council of Independent Colleges and is funded through member dues and generous support from Lilly Endowment, Inc. Your hosts were Hannah Schell and Aaron Van Lanningham, and the episode was mixed by Caleb Kennedy. You can find our library of podcasts at netview.buzzsprout.com. Additional resources can be found at NetView's blog, vocationmatters.org, and at the NetView program page at the Council of Independent Colleges website, www.cic.edu. Our music was composed by Dan Kennedy. Thank you for listening.